Hey, this is Troy with the discoverfamily.net podcast. Thank you for joining us for part two of our interview with Jared Sartell, a mental health professional with a lot of experience working with adoptees and adopted families. ...to help keep your child safe in that, in that process. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. How to, maybe even how to uh, help the child understand what the process might look like or, you know, help them be you know, be safe in, you know, not fantasizing about sure. it or, or, or any, any way to help, you know, just mitigate any of the, the damage or problems that you might face. Sure. I'm going to act, actually answer two different sides of that question. Um, <clears throat> so you mentioned the fantasy aspect, and that's generally where the most hurt will occur. And so having open dialogues about the fantasy, and you don't have to use the term fantasy, but what do you what do you think it'll be like? What do you imagine that they look like? Do you look more like maybe your bio mom or your bio dad? And talk about those fantasies, but also, what if it's not like that? You know, what if, what if what if they don't actually want to to have anything to do with you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that that in working with with those folks, the more direct my language, the better. Uh, and and we tend to shy away from direct language just as a matter of course. Mm-hmm. Um, in our society, but I have found that, that with those folks, the more direct language, the better because mm-hmm. it calls them to, it makes them question these things and at least be prepared for some alternative to their fantasy. Now, the other side of that question is, is the more that we can model, um, sincere appreciation for how it may affect the bio family that you're reaching out to that actually models, really healthy pro-social skills for our kids because it's not just you that will be going through this experience. There's a whole nother set of human beings on the other side Mm -hmm. that, (laughs) you know, their world is about to get rocked very likely. And so having an appreciation for what, uh, not just how they may react and how that affects you, but how they're affected by this process and having that compassion for them will inform how you go about doing it and and will model for your child a really healthy pro-social skill that, that will be valuable for them in their lives, that compassion for other people, that empathy for other people. Um, you know, say you say you begin getting information about your adoptive or your, your birth family. Um, you know, that may that may inform your decision as to whether you do try to reunify with them or whether they're in a, you know, Mm -hmm. say your bio mother happens to be a schizophrenic with active psychosis. Is it a good idea? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you may really want to do this, but for the sake of that other person, Mm -hmm. you know, so to, so to be considerate of that as well is that the world's not actually all about us. Um, is, may slow you down in a way that you might want it not want it to but but could be a very valuable teaching tool yeah you know i think about that first search that that we did um you know it took it took almost exactly a month from the day that uh that jenny contacted us to the day that i i called bio mom and or the birth mom and you know it was it was an exciting month with highs and lows and all kinds of emotion and building towards this, uh, you know, this, this first phone call and making this first contact. So for us, we had, 
you know, process and were exciting. And, you know, on the flip side to her, it was like a bombshell. Who is this person calling me? And, you know, she needed that time to process and understand as well and Mm -hmm. to be respectful. So, uh, you know, in that first phone call, I was giving her all kinds of outs. If you want to think about this, if you want to take your time, call me back, you know, and uh, uh, I can I can definitely see how, you know, each case is going to be different. Some people are going to react different, even. Megan, our lead investigator, she she said she called a birth mom that just flat out lied, like, no, no, it's not me, and da da da. Mm-hmm. You know, finally, maybe another phone call later, like, relented, okay, it's me. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we know it's you. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, different people are going to react in different ways. So. Right. Cool. Um, Way, ways that I've, I've done that in the past, when I started this work um, early on in my career, Email was just kind of starting to become a thing. Um, And so we actually, in several of the cases, we started with a letter, Mm -hmm. um, which gave them the out they could respond or not, or an email or something like that, which gave them the opportunity to respond or not respond. Mm -hmm. And then there was the waiting game, which provided a really good forum for therapeutic work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, you know, we get concerned about, well, what if it takes a long time for them to reply? Well, then it takes a long time for them to reply and you have to work through that and resolve it. Sure. Or what if they don't reply? Well, then they don't reply mm-hmm. and you have to work through that and resolve that loss just like you would some other loss. And so all of these things that may, um, that may cause us to pause or to not move forward based on fear or anxiety. Um, those are just areas for continued growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to look at it that way. But but it was a less intrusive way of going about doing it, sending an email or sending a letter, because then that did give that other person an out. Um, and, and there were times where we had somebody respond, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We actually have just registered on registries looking, you know, and, and had it turn out that way. Um, and so, so yeah, I think, you know, the phone calls, you know, that's, that's a bold move. Yeah. And I think it's awesome, but it's also quite bold. Yeah. Um, as, as you've, yeah. <laughs> you know, as, as you've experienced. Yeah. And so just being prepared for, uh, the intensity they may arise um, as a result of of using a bold move like that, and sure. I'm not at all trying to dissuade anyone from going that route. Yeah. Not not on any level, but you just have to understand that that there will be more intensity involved in it, in yeah. the emotions that you experience, and the anticipation, um, the anxiety leading up to it, those yeah. sorts of things for the workers as well, yeah. because we we love our clients. Mm-hmm. We you know we um, are deeply invested in their health and their well-being and just them as people and so so as helpers as well we have to make sure that we are not creating trauma for ourselves Mm -hmm. and that's really important Um, because if we do that then we're less able to have healthy boundaries around the work that we're doing Uh, we're more likely to become um, more invested in things than really is appropriate for us we can become enmeshed in those family dynamics as well which can 
turn us from a helper to to just another <laughs> you know, an, another disruptive moment of you know yeah. part of the situation and 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 we really as as helpers uh, you know you and, and myself have to be very mindful of of that aspect as well that we're not creating um secondary trauma for anyone in, including ourselves yeah that makes that makes perfect sense and and i will say that i've discussed this with with megan um, in our day and age, most people won't pick up their phone if they don't recognize the number. Mm-hmm. So in this case, I had left a voice message yeah. saying, you know, who I was. And I was, uh, you know, family researcher trying to contact about an event in this year. Um, so to make it obvious, but also if a family member picked up and listened, they'd be like, have no clue what's going on. So right. that typically will, it works uh, sure. you know, pretty well, leaving the voice message. But cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, in your mind, how can an adoptee uh, or or person searching for their family, how can they really prepare themselves for that journey of of finding, you know, birth parent or birth family? Um, how can they best prepare themselves, you know, emotionally for what could be, you know, a very short or a very long search? Yeah, um, there's always a little bit of grief and loss that's involved with this and so as an adopted child um, the better able you are to resolve those things uh, the better able you're going to be to handle that search and whatever happens in that search Um, the more secure you are just in who you are in Mm -hmm. your place in your family understanding um, and truly understanding your motives behind searching is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, we can oftentimes create, um, and this isn't meant as criticism or anything like that, but we can create hidden agendas. Um, and so, so just being honest with yourself about what am I trying to gain from this? Um, do I have any hidden agendas? There's another thing that, that can happen um, called a covert contract, meaning that if I do these things, then the other party will naturally do these things as a result. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to, and this is oftentimes subconscious, um, but things are not going to go well if this contract isn't fulfilled. And you don't know that you're in a contract. Mm-hmm. And I might not even know that you're in a contract. Um, <laughs> and so what are those unspoken hopes and expectations? And then speak them. Mm-hmm. And not have... Uh, you not have these, and I wish there was a softer way to say it, but not have these hidden agendas or these covert contracts, um, you know, things that you're trying to gain. And so you have really have to, as a young person, and this is hard as an adolescent, just because of developmental functioning and those sorts of things. Um, and I speak to adolescents because that's my, my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so naturally, those that, that are young adults or, or whatever may have already worked through some of this stuff um, or are in a better position to work through it more rapidly um, <clears throat> and so so ridding yourself of, of any of that sort of covert stuff um, and just being honest and upfront um, without shame about why it is that you want want to have that and sometimes people don't even know they just have a visceral desire mm-hmm. um, because we genetically it's written into our DNA to be with our biological families now obviously adoption is a really valuable and important service, but it doesn't take away our genetic firmware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, so, and so being able to, to understand that it could just be a drive 
that is just an inherent drive like eating or sleeping or whatever and just being able to accept that mm-hmm. um, and that's both for the adopted children as well as the adoptive parents to know where that drive could be coming from sure did you ever see any instances where maybe you thought the the adoptive child wanting to do the search was almost a way of trying to hurt the adoptive parents or um, maybe using that as a tool I don't know if that'd be I, I told a story earlier of a young man that ended up leaving. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, looking back on it now, I didn't pick up on this at the time, but I think that that was actually a part of it, mm-hmm. um, was it was sort of a um, resentment for the difficulty that he faced in his adoptive family and, um, and, and wanted to exert some power and control there and a little bit of, a little bit of like, I'm going to get you kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've definitely seen that with... With some other people I know where, uh, you know, a, a young adult um, almost seems to use that as a tool. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go spend time with my real grandma or that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, or the venerable, you're not my parents yeah. <laughs> kind of thing that is almost a meme, you know, yeah. or, or a cliche that's out there. But, he, you know, <laughs> he keeps coming back. And um, I think it's been difficult for them, but they've, they've been able to, you know, adapt and understand you know, what he's trying to do, but be, like you said earlier, you know, be comfortable enough in their own skin and, right. and you know, their love for him to not, not let the effect, right. affect the relationship and let them to still be that, you know, that, that North star in his life, you know, right. even if he doesn't want to look at it or follow it or whatever. For sure. And when I've seen that dynamic, looking at that particular case, and I'm thinking of another case where there was a similar dynamic, um, there was a little more to the story than, than just the adoption pieces. Those, those young people actually had emerging personality disorders going on, which mm-hmm. makes them prone to weaponizing stuff like that anyways. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when I've seen it, it was also a part of something like that, which is just a, a, a little bit different story. Got it. Um, Got it. Cool. I'm thinking one, one of the, the big things that we've learned is we've, we've started having more people reach out to us and want them uh, wanting help. Uh, we've, we've come across a lot, of, a lot of young people who have that desire. Um, we can't help them uh, if, they're, if they're under 18. We, we don't feel, you know, obviously uh, they, they still fall under a guardian or... Um, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is they you know we can't help them until we get permission from their guardian mm-hmm. and a lot of times they say okay I, I'll do that or you know okay well typically we like to work directly with the guardian or through the you know through the adoptive parent or through the guardian to help them in the search so they're there every step of the way to to know what's what's going on um, but I feel like these kids are or these youth are just really poorly equipped with how to bring this conversation up and how to how to talk to their adoptive parents about this desire for the search and what those motives are which they may not understand like you said um, so are there you know are there any recommendations you could make to a person in that situation who wants to have that conversation or wants to maybe even just start planting the seeds mm-hmm. to that conversation so that they um, you know so they're not upsetting their parent, their adoptive parents, or helping them understand what they're feeling, and that it's not, uh, you know, it, 
has nothing maybe to do at all with their relationship with them. How would you, you know, if you were counseling with a youth who wanted this and wanted to talk to the parents, um, how, how would, you know, what recommendations would you make to them? Sure, yeah. Um, <clears throat> there is, um, there are a handful of good books out there that, that specifically um, their whole design and premise is to help adoptive parents know what their adopted kids wish they could know. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where I sound a touch ignorant because I've read them all and I can't remember <laughs> the exact names and don't remember the authors. Sure. <laughs> uh, one of them, one of them is, um, is called What Adopted Kids Wish Their Parents Knew. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that's the exact... I think exact, I have a copy of it. So. <laughs> I think that's the exact title of that book. Um, and that, that book by itself has been a pretty valuable tool. Um, and so if you're an adopted young person that, that because of legal constraints is not able to, to do the search yet, um, pick up a couple of those books, read them yourself, figure out which ones you identify with, and then tell your parents, hey, this... I wish you'd read this book because it it actually speaks like my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, like your parents may have some things that they have to resolve. Again, going back to you know that mm-hmm. that other stuff that that we talked about earlier in our conversation, um, and then being patient and allowing them to to go through their process as well because you may actually create more disruption in your family life than is necessary mm-hmm. by pushing them in a way that, that they're not ready to do, which kind of sucks for you. Yeah. Um, and you have to decide as, as a young person if, you know, if, if the tumult that can occur because of that is worth it at this time or if maybe waiting until there are fewer legal constraints. But but again, coming back to the relationship with your adoptive parents and helping them see um, maybe through some other eyes, some of those books, mm-hmm. um, what it is that you're experiencing and what may be driving this. And hopefully they'll have enough compassion for you to, to sure. figure out what they need to. Um, if only to be able to see your perspective, mm-hmm. um, which can be pretty valuable. And generally with people, when they can see someone else, else's perspective, they're willing to alter alter what they're doing to accommodate that other person. Got it. Got it. You know, I, I've often thought about the, the desire that I think everybody has to, to know their, their family history, to know their mm-hmm. ancestry, to know their you know, genealogy, where they came from, what are the stories of, you know, those who have come before us, I think all of us have that ingrained, you know, that, that desire. One of my favorite quotes from, from Alex Haley, who wrote the book, uh, Roots, he said, you know, each, just to paraphrase it, each of us has a desire within us, bone marrow deep, to know where we came from. So I think if, if you build upon that and realize that, you know, that desire to to find your birth parents is is maybe just a portion of that desire of that's in all of us to know where we mm. came from. And I've often thought, you know, if maybe if you were watching uh, one of the the many, you know, on PBS shows that they have, I think called Roots and things mm. like that, where they're taking celebrities and looking at their family histories or things like that, and you know, start a conversation there to say, wow, that's so fascinating to 
to be able to know who your great great grandpa was and I wonder if I had ancestors that came from you know different countries or what their stories were you know to start the conversation there uh, to and then of course you know, it seems like that could lead to well gosh I wonder I wonder what my birth mom's story is I wonder what my birth father's story is I you know what their uh, what brought them to the circumstances that you know made them give me up or whatever it just it seems like a, a safe way to go because I feel like all of us have that desire mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd agree I, I I'd absolutely agree with that and that's I mean that's written into our genetic firmware mm-hmm. um, you know or if you have a, a religious belief system it's invariably written into your your religious belief system as well sure um, and so that that's absolutely a good way to go Um if I may speak a little bit of some of the pitfalls that might get in your way as a as mm-hmm. a young person wanting to adopt or to fi- figure out about your birth family to, to initiate that search. Um, if you choose to adopt passive-aggressive language, um, that will create roadblocks. Mm-hmm. If you choose to make... Can you, sorry, can you just define, because maybe so, everyone hasn't heard passive-aggressive, maybe you can even... Sure, so... Um, yeah, so if you choose to... Um, well, it probably wouldn't be like this if I, if I knew my birth mom, Mm. um, or something, something of that nature, you know, basically a a lace, passively sending out a message that things would be different if, and it's kind of your fault that things are this bad is the sort of covert message. Mm -hmm. Um, in our house, we call that the blame thrower, right? For sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that subtle way of casting blame or... Okay. Mm-hmm. Or trying to elicit feelings of guilt and shame mm-hmm. is really what it is um, in order to try to get what your way. That actually, that um, that dissolves connection between mm-hmm. people. And so, so your parents are less likely to want to do this mm-hmm. if they feel like they're coming under condem- condemnation because of the way that you discuss it. Um, you know, we, we were laughing a little bit earlier about the, you're not my parents thing. Mm -hmm. Um, language like that will absolutely poison your relationship with your parents. Um, and it will absolutely decrease their internal desire to help you resolve this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, so avoiding, avoiding that sort of stuff, making threats, um, well, I'm just going to find them and go by myself and, and leave you and go live with them. Yeah. Um, I, I try and work, tell people to not use the term real parents. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll tell people, yeah, my kids are adopted. Oh, do you know they're real parents? Right. And that just irritates me. I'm like, what is a real parent? You know, <laughs> right. There's a birth parent. Who's the one that stayed up with them till you know, 2 a.m. last night because they had an earache? Indeed. Like, to me, that's real. Mm-hmm. But maybe changing some of that language as well. Or yeah, using some of that language. language. The adoption of, of birth parents, um, it, it feels nice to adoptive parents to be referred to as just parents mm-hmm. as, as opposed to adoptive parents. Um, but when you're talking about birth family, bio family, birth mom, birth dad, bio mom, bio dad, um, to differentiate, you're my parents. Mm-hmm. And these are, you know, bio whatever, that qualifier it makes a difference to to our to our souls, mm-hmm. um, and especially as parents, the hardship that you experience when you're in a situation where adoption is is one of the options you're looking at, um, and then when there may be some difficulty in your family functioning as a result of adoption attachment issues, um, 
like being soft on their spirits is will if only in for self-centered reasons and that I don't advocate that (laughs) as your sole reason but but you know if if that happens to be your only reason to do it it's still going to get you more mileage Mm -hmm. than using uh, you know using veiled threats or using sort of guilt shame or or um less than assertive language and and expressing your desires and that's just human nature stuff Mm -hmm. um you know you treat people kindly they're more likely to treat you kindly back and accommodate you Mm -hmm. um you don't even if you feel like you're justified in not treating them kindly you may actually be justified in not treating them that way but it's still probably not going to get you what you're looking for (laughs) (laughs) yeah that makes sense that makes sense cool um yeah, so I, I think just kind of as, as we wrap up the conversation, uh, one thing we've uh, we've talked about and I've talked with a lot of people about is, you know, I think that not not letting the, the fear rule us. And I, I'm, I'm coming from a perspective of being an adoptive parent uh, myself and having, you know, seen these searches that we do. Probably one of the, the biggest realizations I've had uh, and, and one of the reasons I kind of shifted the focus of, of discoverfamily.net was I realized that uh, these, these people who are going through this search, you know, whether they're adopted or just simply don't know who their, who their birth families are, or birth parents are, um, this is a journey that will challenge them. This journey is, we often describe it as like a roller coaster or a ride that will take you on highs and lows. You know, it, it's frequently that people say that this is the most intense emotions that I've felt, you know, in all directions. But as I, as I realize this more, I, I really believe that the focus of, of what we do should be towards supporting them and, and helping them through this difficult time. And not just doing the search and handing them a name and a phone number saying, this is your bio dad, you know, bio mm-hmm. mom, this is your bio dad, give them a call. But being there with them through that journey and I feel like if there's any message that I that I could send to uh, to to the adoptive parents out there is this is probably going to be one of the greatest opportunities in your relationship to support and strengthen your relationship with your child and to be there for them through this journey and you know deal with the challenges deal if there's fallout to deal with the fallout but to be able to express your love through supporting them in what may be one of the most difficult, you know, things they ever do in their life. Um, so I, I don't know if you have any thoughts, if, if you agree with that assessment. I absolutely agree with that assessment. And I'll add a little bit. Um, it, it also tends to be one of the most satisfying experiences for people that, that go through it, regardless of the outcome there's a measure of satisfaction that was missing that they may not even known was missing, both in adoptive parents and adopted children. Um, and so and it, it being able to obtain that, that satisfaction and contentment um, is, is, is valuable beyond measure. That's great. Well, Jared, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate, appreciate your insights. And I know this will be really valuable for for some of our some of our listeners who are beginning this journey, mid journey, or even 
you know, after the journey to help look back and, you know, reflect on it. So really appreciate your time. Well, yeah, I appreciate uh, the opportunity, you know, to be able to help help families with this is, is really, really cool and important. Thanks for what you do. Well, thank you for joining us today. We hope what you've heard has inspired you, has helped you. Um, if you like what you've heard, we'd ask you to visit discoverfamily.net, sign up for our newsletter, or ask for help. We've got several, several forms on there where you can reach out, and we'd love to help you out in your journey. If you have questions or ideas for a podcast, also feel free to reach out. Info at discoverfamily.net. We look forward to your message. Thanks.